This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Good Monday morning. Welcome to On the Bench. I'm Chris Nee. I'm going to be hosting today. I'm joined by Zach. Brendan's not with us as he's somewhere on a highway driving home. So, we're going to dive right into it. Zach, this weekend, took the trip up to Atlanta, technically Carrollton, Georgia, Carrollton High School, and their beautiful 125-yard indoor facility that they, I believe, just recently opened. Is that correct, Zach? Yeah. It's it's really nice. Um, I wasn't ex- I, I wasn't expecting it because I, you know, all the Under Armour events I've been to in the past have all been outdoor uh, events. But I guess last year this event didn't go so well with the rain and cold, so they decided to not take a chance and, and hold it in the beautiful indoor facility um, was a little cramped in there just because there were so many media members and, and family members there, but it's a really nice facility and it was pretty cool to have the the entire event inside. Yeah. We've talked many times on this pod about how Florida high schools aren't very well funded, but you go up to Georgia, it's amazing how many nice indoor facilities you see. When I was at Lowndes a few weeks back for the uh, South Georgia MVP event, they're actually putting the finishing touches on a new indoor. And I know there's a ton of others up there. Yeah. So, uh, Zach, you do these events every year, whether it's Under Armour or different camps or seven ons like you were at in January. What's the overriding theme year over year that you've noticed with regards to Florida State when you're sitting on an event like Under Armour Atlanta where you got some of the best in the region, some of the best in the country participating in it? Yeah, I think the main thing is what I try to do at these events is I or pretty much any recruiting interview is I try to come in as a you know, not telling the recruit that I cover Florida State specifically, because a lot of times, you know, if you, if you do that, recruits will want to just give you what you want to hear and, you know, to be done with yeah, the they, um They suddenly like the school interview. a lot more. Exactly. So I come in from a neutral standpoint. I'm like, yeah, what schools are you talking to the most? What schools are you interested in? Um, and based on that, then I'll jump in with the specific FSU questions. But um, coming in with that neutral question, just a lot more you know, mentions of Florida State specifically within the top school list of, of many of those guys out there, a lot of blue chip prospects in the 24 class, and even in 2025, and some even uh, in 2026. So just a, you know, a lot more FSU buzz coming out of an event like this. Um, you know, I, like you said, I, I go to these types of events every year. And for the past, you know, couple of years, it's, it's kind of hard to come up with the recruiting scoop after you talk to, you know, 15 guys at an event and maybe FSU has a realistic shot at like four or five of them in the past couple of years. I mean, I think FSU has a, a realistic shot at probably over 10 of the guys I spoke to. Um, and I, and you know, all together, I went with uh, Dustin from, from no game day. Um, we kind of split it up a little bit because just because there were so many prospects in attendance, but I mean, we talked to probably 25 guys in total and I would say about half of them, you know, FSU has realistic shot at. Um, so just encouraging um, to, to be able to see that change in real time. And I think, you know, that just goes to show where FSU is kind of moving up in the, in the college landscape, uh, especially, you know, in the recruiting world. Yeah, Brian Doan and Andrew Ivins from our national team, there were a couple guys that were also there with you at the event. And I noticed in the national pieces and the national coverage they provided, 
FSU just seemed a little bit more readily available when it came to talking to recruits that they were kind of firing it off and talking about some of the best in the country. So what we're going to do, we're going to go a little bit position by position of guys that one kind of stood out, but more so FSU is involved with. But I'm going to start a little out of order. I'm going to go with Cam Davis, five-star running back commitment from Albany, Georgia. Long-time commitment, actually coming up on a two-year anniversary. Either, actually, I think it just happened. I think it was about a week ago. I think it was the 21st of February in 2021, right? Yeah, that he committed to FSU. So long time. But Cam Davis is a guy that FSU is always going to have to fight for. Uh, early on, Bama, Georgia were some major contenders. Obviously, that room's gotten more crowded. Kind of fill us in. What did he tell you in the group? I know there was a group of media that spoke with him when you spoke with him about where his recruitment sits now, where it's going from here, and ultimately what it's going to take for FSU to retain his commitment. Yeah, so I kind of saw Cam Davis walking into the parking lot where you know the media check-in was and as well as the player check-in. And I was the first to come, kind of come up to him, just say what's up. And then I look behind me and there's like eight other media members from you know, Georgia sites, Alabama, you know, every other uh, media outlet. LSU. Out yeah, LSU was out there yeah. um, to, to interview Cam Davis within, you know, two minutes of, of him arriving. He wasn't even on the, the pavement yet. He was still in the road. So um, that was pretty funny. I think we had to dodge a car at one point during the interview. Um, but, you know, specifically what he said, you know, that obviously when there's a ton of other reporters from other sites, he's going to answer a bunch of questions about other schools, which I think is important, right? We want to see like where his interest is um, in other programs. He's always said it's not been a secret that he's kept his recruitment open to communication with other programs and and coaches from other schools um, besides Florida state. Um, But it's never been one of those things where we worried really a, a ton about his commitment status to FSU. Obviously now that it's his year, um, the 2024 class is up. Um, there will be a lot more pressure on him. A lot of these coaches are going to be pressing him more to get on campus. Um, so I think you know that's what we have to monitor. As far as the specific schools to look at um, besides FSU, he has a visit set to Tennessee in March. I think it's March 25th, that weekend. And um, Colorado is another school that he said that he might use an official visit to uh, aside from FSU. Um, Georgia is also heavily involved. He's close with Del McGee. Um, and then uh, Kirby Smart over there, obviously, um, they've been recruiting him, you know, just as long as FSU probably. And I think uh, there's a there's a, uh, a good number of other schools, LSU, um, Georgia Tech. That he, you know, these are all possibilities of schools he might visit. Um, there's a full interview on Nose 24 7 where you can see exactly what he said. I thought the most noteworthy comment from his interview was actually not talking about visits or, or other schools. It was talking about NIL. Um, and he said that NIL is not going to play a big factor for him. Um, and he basically said that he does not want to be bought by a school. Yeah. So, um, you know, take that for what you what you will. But I think that's a, a positive comment for Florida State. Um, FSU doesn't want to recruit guys that are only caring about for, or about NIL. Um, they don't want guys that just want to be bought out. Um, that's not the type of guy they want to be adding to their locker room. Obviously, NIL is playing a factor in a lot of these kids' decisions. You know, when they get to campuses, where's the best package going to be? Um, that's important. And, you know, to say that money is not important, important at all is, you know, just not true. Um, but it's a good sign that Cam isn't, you know, at least on, uh, you know, telling us publicly that he isn't uh, putting, you know, all of his his stock into, you know, where which school is going to pay me the most uh, coming in. Um, he said that, you know, wherever he goes, he, he feels like he's confident enough to, 
to ball out there and then earn his money um, at the college level and, and beyond. So um, just an, an interesting interview. I would suggest going to read it on those 24 seven um, just because he had a lot to say. And there was, there was a lot of questions. I think it was like seven minutes long. Chris actually helped me out and transcribed it. Yeah, it was indeed seven minutes long. I was transcribing it while, while my wife was driving from Athens to Atlanta. So that was always a good time, but uh, it was an interesting interview. A uh, lot of LSU questions. That's a more recent offer, a decent amount of Georgia questions. I, I came away from the interview and I've kind of felt this way about this recruitment for a while that Georgia is the one that's always going to be the concern. I think Kirby Smart's done a phenomenal job with his mother. I, I thought it was interesting. At one point, Cam kind of said that like his mom doesn't push her thoughts on his recruitment on him and he doesn't do the same. They kind of allow it to be separate in a good way. Uh, Cam's a smart quick kid. He's an impressive kid. When you talk to him, you always come away kind of like, he processes things at a very high level. He thinks about things deeply. I thought his NIL comment of not being bought, but I'll be fine. I'll be taken care of. You know, these things happen at the collegiate level now. I thought that showed a kid that wasn't playing for a short game, understood the long game. FSU's relationships with him are extremely good. I think if FSU keeps winning, keeps running the ball, and things stay consistent with the young man, that in the end they have lasting power. But you never say never, especially when it's a kid of that caliber. And he is one of the two or three best running backs in the entire class. All right, so moving on, we'll, we'll start with quarterbacks. FSU's obviously got their 2024 and Luke Kromenhawk. Luke was not at the event. A couple younger guys were there. K.J. Lacey, who was on campus back in January. He's from Alabama, state champion. Julian Lewis, a 2026 kid that's actually been on campus at FSU at least three times that I can recall in the last, I believe, 12 months. What about those two guys did you come away with from the event knowing more about? Yeah, I mean, the uh... – I think KJ Lacey is a, is a guy that FSU likes a good amount in the 2025 class, like you said, was on campus in, in January, says he wants to make it back during his spring break, which would be around the April 10th week. Um, so probably maybe like around the spring game is what I would expect uh, for him to make a return visit. You know, FSU is building out their board in the 2025 class at quarterback. They've got a ton of options. Obviously, they've got their guy in 2024. So, you know, if anything, you know, I, I don't expect it much, you know, to happen in the 2024 class at, at quarterback. So they've moved on a lot of their efforts to, to, to 2025. And KJ Lacey is definitely one of those guys that they're very interested in. Um, and then Julian Lewis, he's probably, you know, I don't think they do 2026 rankings this early at all. But if they if they were to do them, I think he'd probably be the number one quarterback in the country. Um, if you look at his offer list, it's pretty much every school. That you could imagine Georgia, Alabama, LSU, like everyone's involved. Um, yeah. He was another one that that tons of reporters were going up to, and that's you know pretty crazy to say because he's a 2026 prospect. Um, but uh, Julian Lewis has a visit set to Florida State. I think it's within that first week of March. He said it's going to be his first visit of the spring, and then he'll go on a few others um, throughout you know the month of March and April. So. FSU is definitely involved there. He says he has a good relationship with Alex Atkins, who recruits uh, the Peach State, um, where he plays his, his uh, football. And um, I think uh, he's starting to build that relationship with Tony Tokars. So obviously, it's a little bit more difficult to recruit 2026 prospects because they have to reach out to you. You're not really allowed to reach out to them as a college coach um, until they get into the, um, you know, a few years down the line where they can start reaching out. So. Um, FSU in a good spot for both of those guys, but both are being recruited um, by a ton of programs, including Alabama. One thing I'll add on Lacey is Alabama offer 
carried a lot of weight with him, in-state kid. Auburn's also a player there, but Bama was the offer that, from what I understand, is one he was sort of waiting on, and he was super excited, and he expressed that outwardly. And with Juju Lewis, Julian Lewis, uh, impressive that he just keeps showing up to campus. I believe his first visit may have been with Battle or uh, Tony's group up there in Atlanta, the seven-on group, but then him and his dad came back for camp and hung out and checked it out and watched, and he's been here for a game, and it's just a good sign that continually he keeps showing up. He won MVP at the event at the position yesterday, so just worth mentioning. He's a 26 kid, so yeah, we're getting way ahead of ourselves, but he's legit in the state of Georgia at quarterback as a 26 kid, so definitely one worth knowing long-term. Talked about running back already with Cam Davis. He was really the main one there. I don't think there was another one of note necessarily from an FSU perspective. So we'll move on to pass catchers, receivers, and tight ends. I'll start a little bit in reverse order of that position with tight end Kylan Fox, young man that came into FSU on that last Sunday in January and spent a little time with Chris Thompson and Mike Norvell. Kylan's a kid that loves the recruiting game. I think he has like a top 13 right now, for example. FSU is part of that. What did you get from Mr. Fox as you were speaking to him? Yeah, I I think he likes Florida State a good amount. Um, he has a really close tie with with Chris Thompson as well as Mike Norvell. Um, I think he's you know among the top three or so tight end targets for them in the 2024 class. And a lot of those guys, if you look at their board, a lot of them uh, play football in the state of Georgia. Landon Thomas, him, Walter Matthews. I think Amir Jackson plays in uh, yeah. Georgia as well. So. They, they got a ton of targets at the tight end position in Georgia, and Kylan Fox is definitely, you know, a top target among those guys. Um, he said that he plans to make it back to FSU for the spring game on April 15th. I don't think that visit's completely locked in at this point. Um, he says he'll let me know when when it is, but that's the date he's kind of got circled as when he wants to make it back. Um, believe he's going to see UCF and Miami. Those are two locked-in visits for him in March. Um and then, you know, he'll, he might, you know, visit some other schools, but just hasn't uh, planned any of those visits yet. So um, he says he plans to take three official visits in the summer and then two in the fall, and that he doesn't have a timeline for his college decision as of right now. couple quick notes on him. Some ties to the Valdosta area. I believe he lived there before he moved up to North Georgia later in his high school career. And also he, at this point, I would describe him more as athlete, kind of a, a slot receiver tight end type than like a true uh, inline blocking tight end, which yeah. I think is something to kind of keep note of. Uh, I think there's interest from FSU's perspective of how good of a blocker can Fox be in a system because they like tight ends that are both pass catchers and capable blockers. And I think that's a question mark that exists with Fox, but he is a very high level athlete. All right, moving on to receiver, a couple there, Cameron Coleman. I'll start off with him. Uh, physically, I know he's a guy that always stands out when coaches see him. I, I always hear that from different college coaches that Cameron Coleman's a kid that just, you know, he has that get off the bus and stand out kind of look to him. Yeah. He's like very tall, um, kind of lean at this point, but um, you know, not super thin, but he's a, you know, I, I recognized him cause I had seen him at a battle Miami tournament. I just came up to him like, what's your name again? And he recognized me. So it was like, it was a good thing. Cause I didn't, there's always that awkward moment of like, if it's the wrong kid and I'm like, um, I'm out there and then, you know, whatever, but Cameron Coleman, <laughs> good dude to talk to. Um, He's out of Alabama, and he has offers from Alabama and Auburn. So, you know, that, that's an interesting part of this recruitment. But he says that if he's in constant communication with FSU wide receivers coach Ron Dugans, and that he intends to make it to Tallahassee sometime this spring, but doesn't have a date locked in yet for that visit. Clemson, 
the two in-state schools and several several other programs are also in the mix for for Coleman. Um, he's a top two four seven kid, a guy that's you know six three, one hundred and seventy five pounds, um, big body guy. And I think uh, I think FSU is among the you know his his top whatever um, schools at this point. Um, he continues to mention Florida State. Um, you know, I looked at some of the inter- other interviews he did um, with some of the other media that was out there, including like our national. And, you know, he mentioned FSU as well. So um, I think that, you know, FSU needs to get him on campus to have a realistic shot, obviously. Um, and I think that could happen sometime this spring. Again, always good when a recruit mentions FSU, not only to the person that covers FSU, but sometimes that's because you cover FSU, but also to the national types who may not be, you know, a presence for FSU, which brings a kid to bring it up. So good point on Coleman there. Uh, before we get to the guys that produce pancakes on the field, we'll talk about a flip candidate. Joseph Stone. I don't know much about him, so tell me, Zach. Yeah, um, he. You know, we spoke to him um, before the event started. He said um, that FSU is working to flip him. They're among many schools. Um, he's committed to LSU. He's out of Fairburn, Fairburn, Georgia. Five eleven, one eighty. Kind of a more of a slot type, um, but he's he's pretty impressive. He moves very well. Um, he actually said that Mike Norvell is his main contact at, at Florida State. Um, the two speak often. Um, and he claims FSU is a likely official visit location for him. Um, Oklahoma, Texas, Texas A&M, Miami are others working to flip Joseph Stone from LSU. Um, he's got visits set to Texas and uh, Texas A&M uh, in March. And I think he's also making it to Oklahoma in April. Um, so uh, whether he visits sometime in the spring or maybe takes his officials in the summer, I think that's kind of when you could see him make it to campus. But um, looks like Mike Norvell is taking a personal role in the recruitment of Joseph Stone to, to Florida State. FSU obviously has uh, TJ Abrams, Tawaski Abrams committed. Is Stone a slot type? Is he an outside type? Is he an inside outside type? I have, he's a kid that I've not watched film on, so I'm not yeah. familiar with him. I watched him a little bit. Um, we were kind of in and out of the facility because we would right. be Chasing outside. Interviews. Yeah, we would be outside, you know, talking to guys that were coming in, and then some of the uh, like stuff inside but you kind of had to walk around which would take like five minutes on in its own right so um, i watched a little bit of him uh, i'm not going to be like a, or claim to be an expert on his game um, but he's definitely got some speed to him so i think you know maybe a, a slot type makes sense um, but i actually haven't turned on his film yet um just was a guy that uh saw the reporters talking to us so i just went up to him and was like yo is florida state in contact he's like yeah mike norvell's uh in contact all the time the dude's got a, an awesome person personality. He got sick. His hair is sick. It's like yellow. Um, if you go on his, uh, <laughs> if you go on his two four seven profile, it's, it's it's pretty cool. But um, no, I think uh, I think he he's a guy that that Florida State likes a good bit. I know they were involved with him, you know, before he committed to LSU. That was uh, last July. I think it was kind of you know took everyone by surprise a little bit that he that he made that decision, but. Um, still think that he's kind of on the board for other schools as, as you know, they all work to try and flip him. So Peach State is always loaded with offensive linemen, and FSU's done a phenomenal job of trying to harvest guys out of that state, especially under Alex Atkins, who does a lot of recruiting in the Peach State in addition to recruiting his position. Uh, several at this event that FSU's involved with, and you can pick and choose who you want to talk about, but Walclear Flynn, a kid that's been on the radar for several years. He's kind of stopped growing from a height perspective, but a very good football player nonetheless. Caleb Holmes, a young man who was here in January and got offered at that time. Jordan Floyd came in for one of the last visits of the month, if I recall correctly, in January. And Barry Walker, uh, 
a grown man who has the face of a 12-year-old. So let me know what you think of those four guys, what you came away from the event, learning about them and the recruitment and where FSU stands for them at this point. Yeah, I think one of the most noteworthy conversations I had on the day was was four-star offensive lineman, Walt Claire Flynn, like you said. Um, he wants to visit FSU this spring. I didn't say I was covering Florida State. I just went up to him. Um, didn't know if he was still interested in FSU because it's been a while since he's been on campus um, based on his profile. And he know, he told Nolan for 7 that FSU is the only school that he knows he's visiting this spring. Uh, he didn't have a date yet for that trip, but um, he has a really longstanding uh, relationship with FSU OC slash O-line coach Alex Atkins. Atkins was his first ever offer all the way yeah. back in July. Of, yeah, in July of 2020. So he's a 2024 yeah. prospect. In July of 2020, he received his first offer from FSU. He didn't receive another offer from another school until February of the next year. So FSU's been involved here for quite a while. Um, he's a center prospect. He said that all these schools are recruiting him as a center. Um, so maybe that alleviates some of the, the issues with you know him only being six foot one. Um, but I think FSU likes him a good bit. Alex Atkins, like I said, has a, has a really good bond with him. UCF's another school that that's definitely heavily involved, and so is Michigan. I've heard Michigan's actually made some traction with him since he went over there for an unofficial visit in January. Um, but FSU is going to have a shot to to make a, another impression with with Flynn um, in the month of March. And I'm um, I'm always I, down for a center prospect that Michigan wants. They tend to yeah. uh, do a good job at that position. Well, clear. We talked a little bit about his height. It's interesting. He's kind of been a big kid since he was an eighth grader. Uh, I don't want to say he stopped growing, but he definitely hasn't shot up necessarily. I think there was some expectation back when FSU offered that. That's a kid that might turn into an offensive tackle. That hasn't happened, and that's perfectly fine. Uh, it's why he's become into a center prospect. I, I don't think Walt Clear 18 months ago would tell you he thought he was a center, but I'm sure he understands that where, that is where things have progressed to. Yeah. Um who was the next guy that you, you had listed? Uh, the other ones I brought up were Caleb Holmes, Jordan Floyd, Barry Walker. Barry Walker is the most familiar name of those three because he's been on the radar here for about a year now, I would say. The other two are a little bit more recent. Yeah, I think Caleb Holmes, um, FSU offered him after he made a, a, a January visit to campus. I think he's probably still a guy that they're, you know, as weird as that sounds, like they've offered him, but they, they still want to evaluate him a little bit more. Um, they probably want to go see him in the month of May um, when when a lot of these schools are doing their own spring practices and they can kind of go out and, and evaluate in person how he looks and then maybe try and get him for a camp uh, in the summer. He's a four-star offensive lineman um, out of Creekside High School in the state of Georgia. He says he wants to visit LSU, Auburn, Tennessee, and Georgia Tech this spring. Likes Alex Atkins a good bit. Um, you know, we'll see what happens there. I don't, I don't view his, him as a major priority at this point. Barry Walker, like you said, three-star offensive lineman. He's huge. Um, I think he's like 6'6 and, you know, three over 300 pounds. But he's visited FSU a bunch, like you said, throughout his recruitment. Um, he plans to get back to FSU at some point this spring. Said he has a UAB visit set. But LSU and Colorado, Colorado are other possible spring visit destinations for him. And then finally, Jordan Floyd. Um, he's a newer offer. I think FSU likes him a good amount. Um, but he might be a guy that they're, you know, still want to evaluate a little bit just as they work out their their 2024 offensive line board. Um, he says he talks with FSU in South Carolina the most. He was also at FSU in January and says he wants to get back to Tallahassee at, at some point this spring. Auburn is the only locked-in visit for Floyd in March, he told me. So 
a um, little bit on the, on those four guys. And I think, you know, FSU wants to keep recruiting the Peach State. Alex Atkins has a ton of ties in the state of Georgia. And I think uh, a lot of these guys are, are possible options for FSU down the line uh, in the class of 2024. Did you get to watch the O-line at all? I watched uh, some of their, like, I didn't get to watch one-on-ones because that's when a lot of the receivers and DBs were, were walking in, but I got to watch some of their, uh, like, testing. Did you notice a Khalil House kid? I believe he's younger, very tall, lean, almost looks like a basketball player kind of kid. I did not, unfortunately. Okay, he, He's one of the young men that won MVP at the event. The event always names MVP, gives out uh, Under Armour Next 50, Under Armour Game invites at yeah. the event. Khalil House is one of two O-linemen who won the MVP. I was just wondering if you noticed him. He's somebody that got put on my radar a couple days ago. I think he did the event uh, the day before yesterday. Under Armour does two days of events. Yesterday is more the upperclassmen, more significant names from a recruiting perspective. But I think House is one that made an impression the day before, got invited back and did really well. Just a name to probably know in a state that we know FSU likes to recruit. One young offensive lineman we didn't talk about, but FSU's uh, been on the radar, been involved, is Mason Short, 2025 kid. He intends to come in for another visit in March. Is that correct? Yeah. So he told me he has set up a trip to Florida State for March 11th, which is a huge recruiting weekend for FSU. Um, he also has UF and Tennessee visits set for March. Um, this will be his first ever trip to, to FSU. He's just starting out his relationship with the coaching staff, he said, and specifically offensive line coach Alex Atkins. He's six foot seven, 280 pounds. He's the number two ranked offensive tackle in the entire class uh, of 2025, number 38 overall prospect in that class. Um, really impressive looking looking kid. And I think, uh, you know, FSU has a shot to make an early impression with him uh, on his first ever visit in March. He's a 2025, as Zach mentioned. He got an Under Armour game invite yesterday at the event. Uh, Georgia's going to be tough to beat there. They're in early with him. He's an in-state kid. Uh, a lot of things aligning there. But, yeah, FSU's going to make a – Try to make an effort there. Um, all right. So before we move on to defense, give Zach a minute for his brain to reorganize on a recruiting front. A lot of football is about to start up here for FSU. You know, we're about to hit March uh, to bring up this week. we got tour of duty on Thursday morning. I'm going to wake up way earlier than I like to. Uh, we're going to enjoy that. Check it out. We'll have video, photos, everything we can from it. A couple interviews. We'll have a lot of uh, you know, notable kind of pieces on it in the sense of some evaluation, just what stood out from the event. And then Friday, we get the media luncheon, which is a regular under Mike Norvell, where he will speak. He'll do his press conference, essentially previewing the spring with us. And then we all get to sit down and eat and all the coaches and support staff all come in, join all of the media kind of breakout sessions. It's, it's solid. I'm, I'm a big fan of it. I think it's a comfortable setting. Uh, those guys give us phenomenal access, as we've mentioned in the past. And it, it will be, you know, interesting. I think it's an exciting spring. We know a lot of what's coming back. They're obviously adding about 19 new pieces, I think it is, here for the spring. Uh, excited to see several of those. Not a ton of position battles, but obviously some depth to figure out. Some uh, spots like DB that we're looking at as far as what's going to happen in the spring storylines. And then, hey, spring football is here. And recruiting is going to really pick up with spring football. We're expecting a ton of kids in March. Uh, you know, Zach has referenced the March 11th is going to be a very big date for FSU. I think that entire weekend is going to be a big weekend for FSU. And even before that, they're going to have kids in all the way through the spring game in mid-April. And then the eval period starts after that. 
Zach, what do you want to add to the football perspective slash recruiting perspective of what's coming up here starting in March? Yeah, I mean, I think FSU fans should just be super excited about spring ball. Um, starts next Monday, like you said. And I, I know personally I'm I'm super stoked to get out there. I want to watch this team, um, see all the new pieces, uh, you know, how they how they fit into FSU's roster at these various positions. Um, there's just so many key you know position battles that I want to follow. And we're gonna have a ton of content. We're gonna just absolutely blow it up with content. I know this week. Brendan, you know, he's not here. Maybe he's a little hungover, um, and that's why he's not on this podcast. But um, he uh, he told me he has some some scoop dropping this week, a ton of it. So, you know, be on the site, be active, and I think uh, we're going to have, you know, a lot of good news to, to break um, within the month of March as well as, you know, in April. So um, I'm excited. I think this is going to be a fun time to cover the program and a fun time to follow it for you guys. All right, so switching gears to defense at Under Armour Atlanta. Uh, again, going to do kind of like I did with offense, going to start out of order and then get in order. So I'm going to start with the guy who probably significantly news-wise, probably you got the most out of, Traveris Banks. He, he came yeah. here in January. If I recall, it was the first day it opened up in January. He came on campus, obviously, before Pat Sertain was here, correct? Yes, um, correct. So what did you learn from him talking to him in Atlanta about where his recruitment is, what's next, where FSU stands, how Pat Sertain now fits into that? Sertan now fits into that situation and what you expect to come from it. Yeah, he, I think FSU has a really good shot with Javaris Banks. Um, he'll be back in Tallahassee on March 10th, he tells me, after, you know, visiting in January. A large reason as to why he wants to come back is because he really wants to meet Pat Sertan. Um, that, like you said, wasn't a possibility on his first visit because Sertan, I think, had been hired, but just hadn't made it to campus because he was still in his playoff run with the Miami Dolphins at the time. Um, he tells Knowles 24-7 that he has a commitment date set for June 18th. He plans to take some official visits in the summer leading up to that commitment date. I think FSU, you know, as long as they're still heavily interested in banks, which it seems like they are at this point, um, they, they plan, they'll probably be one of those official visit destinations in the summer. Um, he said he's talking more with Pastor Tan, you know, electronically over the last month and change and is, is really looking forward to meeting him in person. So um, I think that's going to be the key. Um, if, if Sertan sees him in person, likes him, then I think, uh, you know, FSU has a really good shot with Banks. Um, Auburn, the in-state school, he's literally out of Tuscaloosa, Alabama, um, but Auburn's involved. I think Alabama's involved to an extent. Not sure how much they're involved. Um, UF's offered, and they've, been, they've had him on campus before. Um, Tennessee, Ole Miss, Texas a Notre Dame are some other offers for him. So um, he's a guy that, that's got a, a good bit of interest from a ton of schools, and, and he'll visit some other schools besides FSU in the spring. Um, but I think that the Seminoles have a really good shot with Banks. I think one good point to make here on DB recruiting, because that's obviously something that's evolved a great deal over the last five, six weeks since the new hire was made. They like him long, they like him athletic, and they like him to be versatile. And uh, I think Banks is a guy that fits – those three adjectives pretty well, yeah. but six, one, their, board, yeah. their board is uh, it's big and it's a lot of good players and they've offered several here in the last six weeks or so who I think they like. So I think that's a board where we're going to see in March into April who comes on campus is going to be important, who they're willing to take in that stretch. is far more important. And then who do they want to evaluate when they hit that eval period after the spring game? is also going to be important at that position because I don't think they're going to be in a rush just take to take. I think they're going to want to find the right guys. But I do think Banks is somebody that 
there's pretty good mutual interest and obviously there's a decent relationship already built there and now him and his position coach have to work on building a further relationship since he's a newer hire all right so we'll get to the edge rushers and d linemen uh since it's the goat's birthday today happy birthday odell i'll start with d tackles so justice terry the man of the infamous Twitter photo standing under a tree looking like he can tear the tree out of the ground with his bare hands. Yeah. What did you like learn about grade. Justice Terry? Yeah. yeah that photo yeah. was taken in the eighth grade, and that's why it went viral, I think. No, nah, but he's he's incredibly well-built, 6'5", 270, um, committed to Georgia, 2025 D-lineman. Um, was, was, he was also at FSU in January, and he absolutely loved his time around Mike Norvell, um, just raved about Norvell and his energy. Um, kind of like lit up a little bit when I asked him about it and was kind of getting, you know, just was very happy to speak about FSU and specifically coach Norvell. Um, he also mentioned that he, he, he likes talking with coach Odell and he, he talked a little bit about their, how, how both of their personalities kind of play off each other. Odell's more laid back, you know, maybe not on the practice field, but in other senses, he's more laid back. Um, and I think Norvell's kind of the opposite. Um, so he likes that. Um, he intends to make it back to FSU this spring, but he said he didn't have any of his like spring visit plans um, for any school uh, planned out at the at this point. So um, FSU is definitely making a, a great impression on him. He's an in-state kid for Georgia, and he's going to be a tough flip. But um, I think if any school has a shot, um, I think it's Florida State. Jeremiah Beeman, a talented edge. He's been on campus before. I think it was for a game during the fall, if I recall correctly. Don't think yeah. he made it in January. What did you learn in talking with him at the event? Yeah, um, he's visited FSU before, like you said, in 2022. But um, he says he talks to off-field assistant Austin Tucker, who recruits the state of Alabama for Florida State about every two days. Um, Alabama's involved with him, and that's his only planned visit, he told me, um, for, for the spring at this point. Um, he did say he wants to get back to FSU at some point this spring, but um, Auburn's involved, Clemson's involved. There, there are a couple other schools that are in the mix. I don't know if FSU's like in his top, top group. I know they're still in communication um, and he could still make it back this spring, but unless that happens, I don't, you know, I don't think there's a, a, a great shot with him. Um, and I think it's probably good, right? Like with what happened last year, you don't want to be banking on a lot of these guys from the state of Alabama, like Jeremiah Beeman. He's a really talented dude, top 100 kid. Um, but if Alabama's involved and, you know, Auburn as well, like it's just um, maybe they should, you know, recruit other areas of, of the Southeast more than, than the state of Alabama, but, you know, maybe he'll mix, makes it to campus in the spring and, and maybe FSU has a shot. But at this point, you know, I wouldn't view him as a, a super legitimate option. Yeah. I think if he ends up in the ACC, it's going to be with Clemson. Um, yeah. But you're right about the SEC ones there. A couple guys not yet offered that are edge types. Uh, one could even be a linebacker. Cameron Fountain, who came in in January and Jamonte Waller, who's supposed to come in in March. Anything to throw out there about those two young men? Yeah, well, uh, uh, Cameron Fountain is a guy that that impressed a lot of people out there. He's got an uh, impressive frame, six foot five, um, two hundred and thirty five or thirty seven pounds. I think he's listed out on the on the two four seven site. Um, no, but he's he's an impressive dude. Can move very well, um, and he visited FSU for a junior day in January. He said he didn't have any plans to get back at this point. Um, I think Tennessee and South Carolina are two schools he wants to see uh, in March. But um, at this point, you know, FSU, I think, is still evaluating him. Um, he was a guy that, you know, they, they did show some extra attention to on his January visit. I remember that. 
Um, but I asked around and, and they weren't, you know, ready to throw in an offer into the mix for, for Fountain at that point. Um, but maybe, you know, as they get some more information on him over the next couple of months, an offer could come um, his way. But at this point, don't expect that to happen, at least uh, in the near future. Um, and then what was what was the name of the other guy you mentioned? Uh, real quick, before we move on to Jermonte Waller uh, on Fountain, okay. he's a kid that in January when the coaches were out on the road, I know FSU dropped in on that score, I think, twice. And I think it was two different coaches, area recruiting coach, and then a coach that would evaluate specific to that position. So I think he's definitely a down-the-line kind of guy. You know, we're going to see how he develops further, but there's a decent amount of interest. Like, he's a name worth knowing. It's just not a name they're going to go on at this point. But uh, Jamonte Waller, due in here in March, actually when we did the edge day of previewing the spring and recruiting stuff, I, I wrote that he's a guy I think they could offer, and I do think he might get the offer in person. I don't know how much you got to see him, but his film just pops. He, he kind of flies around, and he plays pretty aggressively. No, he's an impressive dude. Uh, moves exceptionally well, 6'2", 225, and he's listed as an edge. So maybe some concern about you know his size, but he's a top 247 kid. FSU has definitely uh, been in contact with him. He says he's getting a lot of mail from FSU. And then at one point they were talking to him a bunch. He said that slowed down a little bit recently, um, but he does plan on making it to campus. I think it's either on March 10th or 11th. Um, he'll do like UF one day and then FSU the other. Uh, he, you know, he said that um, he hadn't heard like whether they're going to offer soon, but I think it's a possibility, like you said, Chris, that they might offer him once they see him in person um, and he makes it in for that big weekend. Yeah, just to add, the defensive line MVP at the event was Sterling Dixon. He's an Alabama commitment. FSU is not a player there, just to throw that out there as we're talking about the position. Um, one kid who's going to be a national name, and already really is, and deservingly so, is I believe he's out of Spain Park up there near Birmingham, Jared Smith, 2025 Edge. Yeah. He's His film's phenomenal. His build is phenomenal. His athleticism is phenomenal. He, I, You know me, I hate using the word elite. He's an elite kid. Um, yeah, FSU's offered there. Did you get a chance to chat with him? Yes, I did. Um, he is he is definitely a kid. Um, he's the number five rated player in the country in the 2025 class. Six foot six, 230 pounds. Um, he's got to put on some weight, but man, he's really impressive. Um, he visited Florida State for the first time ever in, in January. And when I asked him about FSU, um, among a ton of other reporters that were asking about, you know, Alabama, Georgia, and other schools. His face, you know, lit up with excitement. Um, you know, he talked about that visit just being awesome, and, and he could tell just how great the atmosphere was in Tallahassee. Says he really wants to get back at some point this spring. Didn't have a date yet set for that. Um, Auburn and, and Georgia are two places he's he's definitely going to see this spring. Um, but it was very clear when I spoke to him uh, briefly that he wants to get back to Tallahassee soon, as he as he really loved that first trip to campus. Yeah, really smart kid, too. So he's going to be yeah. fun to keep up with. I hope FSU is involved with him long term just because the talent level and he's a joy to talk to. Uh, real quick, before we move on to linebacker, Jordan Ross is one of the Under Armour game invites at defensive line. Uh, similar to Waller, he's one of the names I brought up when I did the piece about edges they could offer. But I think Auburn's in a really, really good spot with Jordan Ross, so it may not matter yeah. in the end. And I think I gave people PTSD over last year's recruiting cycle by bringing him up. So, all right. Linebacker Quay Birdsong, a young man we expected to talk to in January because he was supposed to come in, I believe it was for the second junior day weekend in January. Something came up. He was unable to. He, he conversed and let us know that that day that he wasn't going to make it, but he intended to come in March. He tells you he is indeed coming in March. So what did you learn from Quay? 
Yeah, so we, we reported that a few weeks ago, I think on also April 7, that Quay Birdslong would be at FSU um, for that March 11th day slash weekend. Um, and he says that FSU linebackers coach Randy Shannon is reaching out a ton to him pretty much daily. Um, he has not been offered yet, um, but FSU is among the five schools in contact the most with him. He already has official visits set to USC, um, Southern California, and Cincinnati for June. Um, he says that if FSU does end up offering um, in the near future, that they'll be among his top schools and, and a school he definitely wants to use an official visit on. Um, he's really excited to, to get on campus. Uh, he was kind of bummed that he didn't make it in January. And he really he does think an offer could be on its way soon. So a um, few other schools evaluating him besides Florida State that haven't offered are, are Florida and Ohio State. Um, they are. Uh, I think Florida got him on campus in January, and, the, and he already has a planned visit there for uh, for March. So a guy that I think FSU wants to see in person. Um, he's a little bit lean. He's 6'2", 195, um, but he might be a little bit less than that just after seeing him in person uh, weight-wise. Um, but I think he's a good-looking dude, and he can move very well. Film is it looks you know checks out. So I think uh, I think he's a guy that that FSU could look to to, to maybe expand its its linebacker board, which we've noted many times um, this month that they need to do uh, this spring, as there's not a ton of you know quality options on the board at the moment. All right, last linebacker. Well, actually, two more linebackers. Last one in the 24 class, Tristan, Tristan Jernigan, a recent offer from FSU by FSU in Mississippi. Uh, did you speak with him or did you just notice he was there and kind of, you know, lay eyes on Dustin actually spoke with him, but he we shared like audio with each other and played in the car while I was writing this. So um, he said that, you know, he's just starting up his relationship with, with Florida State as they you know just entered the mix with an offer recently. Um, he says a visit to Tallahassee could happen around the March 11th weekend. He brought that up by himself as to when. Yeah, he, he's told me that, too, as we yeah. he He's trying to coordinate with his parents on it. It comes down to basically a window of opportunity for the family. Gotcha. Yeah. So he, he said that, you know, that's the weekend that FSU wants to bring him in. Um, he's a good looking prospect, man. Um, you know, filled out a, a decent bit. He's 6'2", 220. I think that's probably an accurate listing for him. Um, looked impressive off the hoof. And and I think uh, um, FSU, you know, that's a guy that FSU want, probably wants to continue to evaluate. Um, he said that his main contact is Gabe Fertitta. Um, yeah, that's who extended the offer. Yeah, because he recruits that, you know, that area, I think, for Florida State um, in his Mississippi, Tupelo, right? Is that what? That, yeah, that yeah, it's Tupelo. Guy. He's got a phenomenal young teammate, too. I'm not going to bother bringing him up right now, but a 26 kid that's there that I think FSU will be early on. Uh, yeah, I know a little bit about Tristan's recruitment from dealing with him and when the offer was extended. FSU was the best offer to date for him when he got it. His offer list has picked up a little bit of steam since. I definitely think it's an eval type of offer. Want to see him in this post uh, FSU spring, the eval period. Probably also want to get him in for camp. But we've talked about the need to expand that board. He's an excellent example. If you go ahead and expand it that way, it's regional, uh, a little bit under recruited slash still emerging at this stage. Good looking physically, good enough film, good athlete, a little bit raw as a linebacker, but he's big, he's fast, he's willingly physical. He's got the tools to be a good linebacker. You just you'll have to refine it. So, yeah, I think it's worthwhile. Uh, speaking of Mississippi linebackers, the other kid is Jacoby Hobson, twenty twenty five kid, and he truthfully could play DB or linebacker. He's very athletic, very talented. Teammates or best friends, I can't remember. They might even be like first cousins. 
uh, Camarion Franklin, very talented five-star D lineman who was not at this event, but has already told us he intends to be at FSU in March. Hobson said he also intends to come. Is that correct? Yeah. So um, Camarion, uh, unfortunately, did not make it down with um, with Hobson for this event. But like you said, they will both be on FSU's campus on March 11th. Um, Hobson told us that he'll be alongside Franklin for that trip. Um, he said that communication with FSU has fallen off a bit since his main recruiter, Marcus Woodson, left for Arkansas earlier this offseason. Um, he's a 2025, so, you know, that's to be expected a little bit. Um, but expect that contact to pick up once he steps back on campus and he gets to meet, you know, Pat Sertan or, or Randy Shannon, whoever is going to be the lead recruiter for him. Uh, I think Marcus Woodson was because Hobson's from the state of Mississippi, and that's where um, a lot of Marcus Woodson's recruiting was done. Um, but yeah, he's incredibly impressive, you know, off the hoof, six foot one, 205 pounds. Um, I think Arkansas is a school heavily in the mix for him early. There's some, there's some other programs that, that, that'll get him on campus in March as well. But he did say that FSU was a program he's going to visit alongside Franklin. I believe him and Franklin's high school is where Rowdy Dowdy was back in the day before he ended up at FSU, one of the assistant strength coaches at FSU. Yes, so there's a I slight remember. tie there too. Yeah. He was, he was hosting them for one of the visits uh, when they were both, like, very young. All right, so that was, like, 40 good minutes on Under Armour Atlanta. Obviously, pretty loaded event. I'll be at Orlando next Sunday, this coming Sunday. Obviously, a big Florida event for us. I think that's going to um, be huge because they don't have the Miami Under Armour event anymore. So it's literally every kid in the state of Florida will be there. Yeah, as long as good kids luck. aren't taking trips to campuses. Um, yeah. yeah, I expect to see them. I'm down for it. I love doing camps. I'm glad FSU's good again. So camps are, like, worthwhile for me because yeah. there was a stretch where they just weren't recruiting at that level where it mattered enough for to invest the time but i love camps that's where i cut my teeth and that's what i did a ton of that first decade i was doing this job back when you were young and zachary all right buddy so uh what else should we talk about today um i want to ask you about some comments that were made by mr um michael alford fsu's ad at a board of trustees meeting um i think you know if you're if you're unaware um michael alford went to the board of trustees um this is a usual thing he has a presentation about fsu athletics but this time, you brought up something specific um, about, you know, FSU's um, role in the ACC and just, you know, revenue share. I want Chris's thoughts on this. Um, what did he say? And just kind of what you know, what's your impression of, of um, the comments that Michael Alford made in front of the Board of Trustees? Well, as Alford has stepped in front of those people here the last three, four times, he's consistently made an effort to show FSU has a great deal of value. Um, we have talked about FSU has done everything necessary to position themselves to be as appealing to move on as needed. Uh, improving facilities, better football program, because football is the biggest piece of the whole pie. 80-20 when you're looking at TV, 80 for football, 20 for basketball is kind of the way it's broken down. So it's super important for FSU to be good at facilities, good at football. Being good at other programs is also nice and important, but at the end of the day, football is what drives the bus. All right, so fast forward to this past Friday. What was this one about? It was about TV revenue and the gap that exists between the ACC and other conferences, how bad that gap is going to get moving forward, the fact that that gap can almost get worse immediately in about five, six years as a lot of those TV contracts for other leagues come up while we're still stuck in the current ACC contract and all of that. And he does a great job of displaying, again, FSU's value, pointing out the average viewership for FSU from 2014 to 2022, best in the ACC, 
uh, how many games of 4 million or more viewers FSU had in that time, 4 million is a benchmark from a TV perspective. Those are the kind of things. And I wrote a whole thing on this on Friday, trying to explain it further in the video from that event's also in the thread pertaining to what I wrote on Friday, if you want to go look at it for further detail. But in the grand scheme of things, what is he saying? He's saying that FSU deserves to get their fair share of what they're earning in the ACC versus a Duke, who's the lowly bottom piece of the totem pole. And again, people can think basketball matters. In the grand scheme of things, it doesn't matter very much. It's about football. It is all about football. And the trend is only going to continue where it's going to be more and more about football, as we've learned in recent years. FSU and Clemson carry this conference from a football perspective, not only on the field, but from a viewership standpoint, from an interest standpoint, and from a media value standpoint, we're getting paid the same as the guy at the bottom of the totem pole, the 7% each that's evenly shared. FSU's percentage should be double that at least. And so he introduced the idea of unequal revenue distribution, which again was echoed by Clemson in recent days in their AD as well, VPAD, like Michael. And, um, it's important because uh, the gap's got to be made up. The gap is only going to grow. FSU can't be $30 million behind their SEC and their Big Ten counterparts. The TV contract for the ACC and the grant of rights is all locked into 2036. These other leagues will come back for renegotiations before that with new deals starting here soon. So why is he doing that? Well, one, you want to put pressure on the league and you want to try to get unequal revenue distribution. From a short-term standpoint, that's probably the quickest not big fix but that can happen where you do at least get more money but it doesn't help with that gap in that ultimately the goal is for either the acc somehow to be able to get back at the table and renegotiate a horrendous deal that hasn't walked into 2036 i'm not of the opinion that probably happens i just don't think espn's in a rush to let the acc out of a deal where it's benefiting espn even though certain brands such as fsu and clemson will ultimately be work far more than they're actually producing in the league they're in and the dynamics of all that exists. I think another reason it's a Pac-12 deal. Pac-12 has a TV deal that's about to eclipse in 2024. They're trying to work on a new deal here in the next four to six weeks that most people think needs to be decided by May 1st. If that doesn't happen, well, Pac-12 could disband and the Big Ten and the SEC, who are both working towards super conference status, could go and pick off some of the good pieces. The Washington's and the Oregon's are probably very appealing for the Big Ten, for example. If that happens, I think things can get real interesting real fast because the timeline for working towards the end game, which is super conferences, might get sped up some. But in the end, the grain of rights is always sort of the thing weighing FSU down and others in the ACC and not allowing for a quick change. A, a talking point, a Twitter talking point, if you will, from Alfred speaking was the exit fee where he brought counsel in after a question by a member of the board of trustees about what would it take to exit the ACC. And that's solely to exit the conference. And the answer was, I believe, 120 to $130 million. It's basically three times the revenue of a year. And that's what you pay. So it would be like $126 million to be exact right now. But that does not include a grant of rights. And getting out a grant of rights, which I think a vast majority of schools in this league have looked into, is insanely difficult. If schools could, they would, and they would have already done it. And FSU probably would have already done it. But you got to get a certain amount of schools aligned, whether it's eight to break it because it's more than half of the conference, or just enough where if you go to a legal battle, it's not you standing on an island by yourself yelling at the mountaintop. It's you know several of you climbing that mountain together and trying to take it down. 
but that's all kind of long game stuff. And I, I, you know, I get, I guess frustrated is the best word I can use. This topic has come up now pretty consistently for three, four years straight. And it's becoming more public because we have an AD who is capable and smart and intelligent and very good at messaging and putting it out there and doing an excellent job of creating some pressure publicly. And certainly saying that FSU is not satisfied with the status quo as they should not be in that things need to change. It can't happen. And there, there's president of the board of trustees who's in lockstep with him and the president of the university who allows athletics to be run by the guy running athletics, who is also in support of what the guy running athletics is saying. So the, the group at FSU is super well locked as best as it's been in the time I've covered FSU. We've got the best AD at FSU we've had since Dave Hart without a question. And FSU is trying to make a move, but making that move is insanely difficult. And, uh, you know, I, I think Ingram might have said it on Norcast. I think I saw somebody reference on the board. There is not a magic bullet, and that's an excellent way of putting it. FSU is going to do everything humanly possible to position themselves to do it when the time comes, and they're investigating every single avenue humanly possible to do it. But the actual act of doing it is going to take a pretty seismic moment, whether it's a legal battle, somehow a massive shift in the conference dynamics, or, you know, ESPN stepping to the table, which, again, I think is far-fetched. So if you're interested, go watch the video from Friday, the Board of Trustees meeting. It's a pretty long video, but the portion with Michael speaking is only, I don't know, probably 20, 25 minutes. And a portion of that is a couple of student athletes from men's and women's golf speaking. You can get through that if you want to look at specifically to what he spoke about pertaining to TV revenues and where FSU stands. And, again, I tried to transcribe a great deal of that and put it there for you to read and whatnot. But the the end game is FSU has to make a move or the league has to get a new deal. A new deal is probably unlikely because, well, you know, brands like FSU and Clemson will lose value long term. The ACC, from an ESPN perspective, is a deal. They're getting us very cheaply when you compare it to deals like $72 million and $80 million per school port per year. That's coming for the SEC and the Big Ten. That was a great breakdown, Chris. I want to move into a, another fun topic that happened within the past few days. Another fun a rare time this year that basketball yeah. was a fun topic, my friend. Exactly. So we got to take advantage of it. Yeah. So what happened? <laughs> that that was Miami, wild. Yeah. Miami versus Florida State. FSU comes back down 25 points to win at the buzzer. How did yeah. that happen? I, I've never seen it happen before in an ACC game involving FSU. I mean, it's just wild. It, FSU was down consistently by 20 to 25 at the end of the first half early in the second half i think with about 19 and a half minutes left they're still down 25 you're just saying that's insurmountable like you don't have enough time to make that charge miami's a really good team even though nigel pack was unavailable for them and miami seized up to a degree and fsu just played really really well down the stretch they hit shots they took care of the ball they rebounded pretty effectively. I mean, I think the rebound difference was one, which for FSU is phenomenal this year because they usually get slaughtered on the boards. Um, and then the last six seconds happened where you allow a pretty easy open look to Miami off an inbounds. They knock down the three. You know, everybody in Watts Coast Center is going nuts. And then suddenly FSU goes down the court, Worley to Cleveland. Cleveland pulls up and knocks it down. Third time he's hit a buzzer beater in his career. Second one of that fashion with Virginia, BC being the other buzzer beater. And it was it was awesome. You know, for a team that's had a, a miserable season and because of injuries and not playing well and just not coming together very well and lack of leadership and all the other reasons. 
You split with your in-state rival who you passionately hate. You beat them 10 out of the last 11. You own them in their place in recent years, and you have that moment. And you came back from 25 down. You showed that you're capable of being much better than you've been. Nobody cares at the end of the year that that's what this is. But, like, that moment and that singular moment was absolutely awesome to watch. I mean, you know, and it was it was amazing how quickly FSU got down the court and how clean of a look Matt got. I mean, the guy who hit the three for Miami celebrates. He's kind of late getting back. He's ultimately the guy that's on Matt when Matt takes a shot. He's not on him very well, and Matt knocks it down. And, you know, I didn't I didn't know if Cleveland was going to play again this year. I asked Leonard Hamilton a couple of days ago if he was shutting down for the rest of the year because he's had back issues. He's had bad spasms in his back here for, I think, about two weeks now. And he was essentially a game-time decision going into Saturday. And, well, hell. Hell of a game. So, yeah, that was fun. Yeah, it's enjoyable for, for what the season's been, like to have that kind of game, you know, on the finishing stretch, I think is is crazy. And it just makes it all the better that, that Miami was undefeated at home going into that that game. And, you know, FSU broke all kinds of ACC records for, for comebacks and, and, and things like that. So um, I'm not going to lie and say I was tuned in for the, the, the entire 25-point comeback. I don't think many people were. Um, but when I saw that, that, that they were within one point, I think you had tweeted it or something. Um, it was like around you know, 74, 75 or something at one point. I was like, oh, shoot, I got to turn this on. And I witnessed it. Yeah, so I was, I was as it was happening, I'm like, oh, they're going to like when they got around 10 or so, I'm like, oh, they got a chance. And then they got into single digits. And they've done that a few times this year where they've made a big gap much smaller. But they usually run out of gas or whatever. And like they'll, they'll get to a point where it's like six points and they can't get over the hump, or eight points and they can't get over the hump, or four points and they can't get over the hump. But they just kept doing it. And the last six minutes of that game was wild. The amount of lead changes, the amount of quick baskets, the up and down basketball, not a whole lot of whistles, not a whole lot of free throws. Miami had run out of timeouts there down the stretch. So that also allowed it to play out at a pretty high rate. Um, but yeah, Miami, I, I think. I personally think Miami's the best team in the conference. Virginia is going to win the conference and probably beat a high seed out of the ACC in the tournament. But I think Miami's the most capable team in the NCAA tournament from the ACC. That's with Nigel Pack. He's a huge piece of the puzzle, and he wasn't available for him Saturday. But, like, for FSU to go and do that and for Miami to struggle as mightily as they did down the stretch, uh, it was just kind of wild to watch. And in a wacky, bad year of ACC basketball, it, it was an enjoyable moment. It was awesome. Um, moving on to another sport that we are going to start talking about a little bit more now that the seasons uh, come around. Baseball. FSU baseball in the Link Jared era has been pretty fun so far. Out to a six and one start. Brett, I think, is coming back from a, from a, his trip over in Fort Worth um, for the TCU series. But I guess, Chris, just what are your what are your early impressions of of Link and just what he's done with the FSU baseball program early on? Uh, Sunday being an exception, I think they've done a hell of a job hitting the ball. Um, they've been a really good offensive team. Coolest thing about this weekend was Friday, watching Jackson Baumeister and keeping up with Jackson Baumeister playing like he's fully capable of and uh, I, against a really good TC ball club. I mean, they were number eight in the country going in the weekend. Early rankings are a little weird, but TCU is a legit ball club. They're going to be in the Big 12 conversation for sure. And FSU's in their place, and Jackson just goes and does what he did. And he looked like an ace on a team where pitching depth is not great. You got to have your frontline guys be frontline guys, and that's Carson Montgomery, that's Jackson Baumeister, 
uh, might be Jackson Arnold, maybe some others that have to step up. But Baumeister and Montgomery are the two that you sort of expected to be, and Baumeister went and did it. And Montgomery had a good start on Sunday, a better start than his first start of the year. So another good sign, even though FSU lost that Sunday game. Uh, still got to clean up a little bit of fielding. I think there'll be a better fielding team as the year goes on. I don't think Link will stand for them not being a good fielding team. But they hit the ball really well overall on the weekend. Uh, they went into a place that's not an easy place to play and played really well. I, they're capable. The pitching depth is going to be the Achilles heel, and it's going to cost them some games, and they're going to have moments where they just don't have enough arms to keep going in games because they've used so many day before and day before, and just guys are unavailable. But all in all, uh, they're they're an enjoyable ball club. Um, they got, I believe it's USF on Wednesday, Florida Gulf Coast coming up this coming week. You know, nothing too significant there. Hopefully another solid week for them. And then I'll start working towards ACC play after that. But, you know, Sunday Golds will have you covered. Brett does a hell of a job. We hired him for a reason because he's best at covering baseball in this market that I've ever seen. And that comes from someone who really enjoyed covering baseball, but it also went into, into time of doing a lot of other things that we have to cover. I thought Brett went to Fort Worth, Texas and, you know, kicked butt and took names and he's going to continue to do that and lean in on it. Enjoy it. I thought it was cool, Zach, that you kind of were checking in on Friday and enjoying it. Yeah. Friday felt like a party for a program that's been uh, stressful, downright disappointing at times over the last about half decade outside of some good moments. Friday felt like a, a real good moment. I, I thought Brett wrote a column Saturday morning about it, and it was mainly pertaining to Jackson kind of stepping up as that starter ace type, and I thought it kind of was poignant. I thought it captured the moment very well. That's awesome stuff. Um, you want to touch on anything else before we wrap it up? No, I think we've kind of covered it all. I mean, it, it's a busy time of sports here. Softball's doing well. Lonnie's got them playing good ball, 15-3 uh, and three or 16-3. and three. I think it's 15-3. and three. Uh, they played a ton of games already. Uh, as you can tell, we're playing 18 early ones. She's got them playing well. Uh, they got to figure out who and what they are as far as the roster and what they're going to use. But she's been uh, doing a lot of experimentation here in the early portion. Beach volleyball kicked off this weekend with a 5-0 and weekend. Men's and women's golf, men's and women's tennis is going right now. Track and field just had ACC indoors, so NCAA is coming up. I believe NCAA is for swimming and diving is coming up. So really super busy time of the sports calendar. Uh, you know, we'll have it all on the board. We try to keep up with it all. And I've been out there to a lot of softball. I'm always going to be at baseball when I'm able to. We're going to have spring football covered unbelievably well. We're going to cover the end of the men's and women's basketball season. Women's basketball is going in the ACC tournament as a five seed here. They'll be on the road most likely for the NCAA tournament, barring winning the ACC tournament is where I would kind of put that right now. Um, but, yeah, Brooks done a really good job in year one with those women. Uh, but, yeah, that's about it. I think we've talked enough for one day. Yeah. So make sure you guys are tuned in on 247.com for the month of March and in April because it's going to be huge. Um, I know I've got some scoop coming. I know Brendan's got some stuff on the way. Um, and Chris will be around just doing everything. So um, we've got it all for you guys on 247. Um, but for, for On the Bench, for for Chris Nee, for Zach Blostein, for Hungover Brendan Sinone. Drive safe. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. 
I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 